0: morning everyone, if I could get you to come back to your seats. Just another reminder that we now have Bibles um, for your use and for, um, I mean they're for you. Um, if you have a Bible like at home and you forgot one, use it, um, but, but you know put it back. But if you don't have a Bible, we want to make sure that you get a Bible in your hand. You, you can say, I have a Bible. And those Bibles, you can take home with you if you want. Um, You can use them here at church too. Um, I'm excited to have them available for us. Um, John did say that we're going to have a vote following the service. And let me just say, uh, this is a vote for the members of this church. Um, An email has been going around as well as um, communication to those of you uh, that were here last week for the town hall. And so really the, the vote will be very short and easy. Um, and so members, and those of you that are regular attenders, we just ask you to stick around and uh, for a very short vote um, following the service. I'll gather us back five or so minutes after uh, the end of our service. Um, as a church, we've been looking at the mission of our church, and I distinguish the mission from the vision of our church in this simple way. The mission is what we do. The vision is what we hope to get done. And the two definitely are sometimes difficult to distinguish between because some people will say the mission is to our mission is to get this done and it's like well that's that's how I define mission or vision, excuse me. See look I even do it, right? But the mission is what we are as a church are called to do. And it is simply this, to be loved and loved. The first Scripture passage today that you see included in your bulletin, and it's somewhat strange because it just says, we love because He first loved us, and it's just 19 and it's to 25. It comes from John's epistle to the church. And in this, he just has this one little phrase, we love because He first loved us. And you would see in this one small verse the necessity of first being loved before you can love. So if you have those cards and you see those cards around you, that's why the first thing that we say that our mission is to to be is to be loved. What do we do? Be loved. If you want to understand what what we as a church are called to do is to be loved. But of course, the purpose of being loved is then to what? To love. And that's right there, 1 John 4.19. We love because He first loved us. Now this idea of love is a very, very, Co- it's an important aspect of being a Christian, and and this comes from the second passage of scripture we're going to look at today. And um, the second passage is just a brief interaction between a lawyer and Jesus, and they are just quoting what is written in the law, and it's just a, 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 like a, it's just them talking about it. And I'm going to explain a little bit more about what this is, but you'll notice, and I'm going to read this here now. Luke ten twenty five through 28 the themes. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, that is Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourselves. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this... And you will live to love, to be loved and to love, to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. The whole idea that we're doing as a church is to love God and to love neighbor. And this morning I want us to focus on this one particular aspect of loving God. Now just over a month ago I took my two oldest kids, who were at the time five and four, to Memphis for a night of basketball, barbecue, and education. It's a night, I promise you, I will never forget until the day that I die. The first stop on this brief but exciting whirlwind tour of Memphis was the Lorraine Motel National Civil Rights Museum, and this is a location, for those of you that don't know it, the infamous location where Martin Luther King was shot in 1968. Now, the purpose of bringing my two kids to this museum was to expose them, not only to the man named Martin Luther King, but also to the great injustices that our country has been going through for many, many years. And I thought it vitally important to expose my kids to these injustices. And so this is where we went. Now, unfortunately, due to my poor timing, and our stop at the library to get some great DVDs to pass the time on the way over, We pulled up to the museum with 30 minutes till it closed. Now on the brochures, when you look at the brochures for this museum, they say, take two hours. It's gonna take you a long time to walk through this. And so when I walked up to the doors and they saw me walking in, they say, you know we close in 30 minutes. And I said, and you know I got a five and a four year old, 30 minutes is all I need. (laughs) And the lady laughed just like y'all did and she took my money, she let my kids go in for free and we began the tour through the museum. Now, the first room we came into captured all three of our imaginations. In the first room, they had lifelike sculptures of Africans who had been captured and put on ships and tied down for the long journey across the Atlantic Ocean. My daughter and son, for the first time, got to see what it was like and how people were treated during this time. And it deeply scared my daughter. But we only had 30 minutes and we had to move on. So we quickly moved into the other rooms, me commentating to them on the various injustices that had existed throughout our country. Things like slavery and Jim Crow laws, Brown versus the Board of Education, all the things that came through that. And there were powerful moments throughout the entire time in the museum. But we had to move quickly. But my time in the museum was coming to a close. And I knew that I had accomplished my mission when my daughter looked at one particular exhibit. And it was the exhibit that was titled Letters from a Birmingham Jail. You see, my daughter had come to learn that Martin Luther King was a good man. And that for a four-year-old, a good man is about as much as you can ask. That's that's exactly what I wanted to. But then she saw this exhibit where there were jail cells. And I told her Martin Luther King went into that jail. And you have to put yourself in a four-year-old's mind. Good men don't go into prison. And so she had to sit there going, wait a minute, why is a good man going into prison? And I showed her and I taught her in the most simplest way. Sometimes the laws that are created are not good. And you could kind of see for a four-year-old, got it. And then right after that, we walked to the point where Martin Luther King was shot and killed. And it's a powerful moment. And if you haven't been, I recommend you going. But it's going to be hard to not be there and, and to not weep. I had 30 minutes to accomplish my mission. And that museum and what I did was accomplished. Now I have 30 minutes to accomplish another mission. And I hope I'm as successful today as I was that day with my daughter walking through that museum. And that mission today is to help us understand what it means to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Many of you have heard this phrase heard, preached about. Many of you have memorized it. But as the case oftentimes is with a lot of us, is these are just sayings that we say or, or, or it's ideas that we believe in but we don't really quite know and understand what they mean. I mean what, what does it mean to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? I mean, when we slow down and look at all the different aspects, what does it actually mean? And so much like the 30-minute whirlwind tour through that museum, I want to go through a 30-minute tour of this phrase of what it means to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're following along with me, the allegorical or whatever you want to call it, we're going to look through three different rooms to help us understand what it means to love God. If you want to call it rooms, aspects, whatever, we're going to look at three different aspects of what it means to love God. Because if this is our mission we've got to have great clarity on what it means to love God. And so the first room we're going to go into or the first aspect of loving God that we're going to look at is this. That loving God is knowing Him. Loving God is knowing Him. If we're going to love God, we have to know Him. The lawyer who responded to Jesus' question, what is written in the law, rightly responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength, and then I want you to hear this, and with all of your mind. To love God requires the use of our minds. That means we have to come to an understanding of who God is. We must know Him as He has revealed Himself to us if we are to love Him with all of our mind. Now on July 14th of 2019, one of the most watched television events in the history of the world took place. Most estimates suggest that over 2.6 billion people from around the world watched nervously as this event unfolded. For those of you that don't know, that's 30% of the global population. And so with such a large audience tuning in, it is no surprise that the event was covered by the largest news agencies and every social media site available to us. And as the drama unfolded, you better believe that these news sites and these social medias were posting about it and talking about it. I mean, the ending of this event could have been written by a Hollywood screenwriter. I mean, the tension could have been cut with a knife. But my guess is that of the 2.6 billion people that tuned in to watch this event, this historic event, people sitting on the edge of the seat watching it, that you and I were not one of them. This is because the event that I'm referring to is the final match of the 2019 Cricket World Cup between New New Zealand and England. (laughs) This beloved sport, which captures the hearts and the minds of people around the globe, it's the second most popular sport in the world, has failed to capture the minds and the attention and the love of Americans. We have not been exposed to the game. We know not its rules, its nuances, its players, its scoring. And if I'm speaking for myself, I'm a big sportsman. I have no idea what's even going on when I catch glimpses of a game from time to time. What? See, we don't love the game like the world loves the game because we don't know the game. And this is the same reality with God. If we don't know God, we cannot love God. But we are called to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. So let me ask you this question. Do you know God? One of the reasons that your heart might not burn with great love for God is that you don't know God. You don't understand who He is. You've never taken the time to fully understand who He is and how He has revealed Himself. But if we're going to love God as He has called us to, we've got to come to know Him. And of course, how do we get to know our God? Now there are two primary ways that we can know God. One is more important than the other, but both are still important. The first way we can know God is by observing the world that He created. Go stand on top of Pinnacle Mountain and take in the beauty of central Arkansas. Lay down in the grass at night and look to the stars observing the great universe. Consider for a moment the complexity of the human mind and body. And all that you see and all that you experience will reveal to you someone or a creator that is greater than you. You can't put the stars in the sky. You can't say to the mountains, stand up. You can't say to the eye, be formed. And so in observing these things, you can come to yourself and say, there's someone that is greater than me. Because we can know God simply by observing that which we see, taste, and experience. But there's a second way we can know God And the second way we know God is the primary and the more important way that we can know God. And that is through His holy and inspired Scriptures. The Scriptures as is contained in the Old and New Testament. In these these Testaments, they tell us more about God than we could ever ask for from just observing it. It describes His attributes and His actions. It describes a God who is holy, righteous, and just. It describes our God who is gracious, merciful, and loving. It tells us how God sought redemption for our sin through His Son, Jesus. It describes the victory that God achieved over death in Jesus' resurrection. It tells of the victory that is to come when sin, Satan, and death will finally be defeated. The Scriptures tell us all that we need to know for salvation. All that we need to know to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So if we need to know God and love Him, we need to know His Scriptures. And of course, the value of understanding the Scriptures cannot be understated for our context. My commendation to you is to not allow some of the complexities that you will encounter in the Scriptures to keep you from coming to understand who God is in the Scriptures. Read it. Jump in. Ask questions. It is so vital to you understanding who God is. At our church, this is what we do every day, every Sunday. We proclaim the Scriptures. We encourage you to read the Scriptures. There's a little black book on one of those back tables that help you discipline yourself to read it, to understand God's Word. Because we understand that the Scriptures communicate to us who God is. And the better we understand the Scriptures, the more we will know our God. And the more we know God, the more we have the opportunity to love God. Because we are called to love God with all of our mind. But while knowledge is vital to our love of God, knowledge by itself means nothing unless we do something with it. And therefore, loving God takes on this second aspect. And I'm going to move us into a second room. And that aspect is, loving God means trusting Him. Loving God means trusting Him. It was the great and wise Solomon writing to his sons in the book of Proverbs and subsequently to us who wrote, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. The wise Solomon writes this to his sons and to us because he knows that the proclivity of our heart is to not lean into God, but rather to lean into ourselves our own wisdom, our own knowledge, our own strength to make it through life. And Solomon pleads with us to embrace a wiser way of living, a life that entrusts oneself to God. And of course, here is where the knowledge of God becomes vitally important. If we come to understand what the Bible tells us about God, That He's our Creator, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Friend, our King. If this is what we know about God, what is it that we do with that knowledge? We have the ability to say, okay, He might be Creator, but I don't care. But here's the thing, to love God means to trust Him. And trusting God is the application of our knowledge of our God to our lives. If God is our Creator, Savior, and Redeemer, We are leaning into Him as our Creator, our Redeemer, and our King. To entrust those realities to our life is one of the very essence of loving God. So let me ask you three questions in terms of who God has revealed Himself and how we trust this. Do you trust God with your past? Do you trust God with your past? I mean, there is a reality in all of us that we are ashamed of the past actions that we have committed. And these realities can haunt us for many, many, many years and days and months. I mean, really haunt us. We'll call ourselves sinners, we'll beat ourselves up, we'll hang our heads. But the reality is, to those who have looked to Christ and confessed their sins and said, I have sinned against you, I plead with you in the name of Jesus, forgive me my sins that Jesus Himself will forgive you your sins and you will be cleansed of your sins. No longer will you be considered a sinner, you will be considered a saint. And the question for you is, do you trust God with your past? Do you trust that He wipes away? That as far as the east is from the west, so is his, your sins from Him. Do you trust God that He forgives you of your sin? If you continue to dwell on your past and your sins and beat yourself up, I would tell you, you're not trusting God. Do you trust God with your past? My friends, you can trust God with your past. But let me ask a more poignant question. Do you trust God with your present? How is it that you make decisions day to day? Do you rely on your own instinct, your own heart, Whatever you do, the social media that you wake up in, what is it that causes you to make the decisions that you make day in and day out? This, whatever that might be, is the very thing that you're trusting. And so I'm asking you, what do you trust each day? When you wake up on a Sunday morning and you're just not feeling church today, do you ignore the call of God to commune with Him and His people so that you can get rest or to recreate on your own way, thinking, this will be better for me? Or do you trust God saying, hey, today is a day of rest to be with me? Are you trusting yourself? are you trusting God? To trust God is to love God. Let me ask a third poignant question. Do you trust God with your future? Do you agonize over what the future will bring? Does anxiety well up in your heart when observing the political future of our country or even the physical reality of the world? I'm not saying these things aren't worth caring about. But do you trust God with the future? God Himself has proclaimed to us, Behold, I am making all things new. These are hard realities. But do you trust God with the future? Because trusting God, putting into practice what we have known about God, is vitally important to loving God. There's a third room that I want to bring us to. A third aspect of what it means to love God. And that is this. Loving God is worshiping Him. Loving God is worshiping Him. The lawyer responded to Jesus saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. The phrase, in essence, captures what it means to worship God. It means that you worship God with every fiber of your being. To be caught up in wonder and amazement and praise to who God is. I want to drive this phrase a little deeper and give some context to where this is coming from. This man didn't just make this statement up on the spot while he's speaking to Jesus. It's a phrase that comes from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. In this part of Scripture, Moses was giving his last sermon on the law of God to the people of Israel before he died. This is in fact what the word Deuteronomy means, a second giving of the law. The law of God was what Moses himself had received on Mount Sinai, on the two tablets that God had written on, giving them the commands that they are to abide by. These tablets are now famously called the Ten Commandments. And so as Moses is trying to articulate to the people of Israel what these commandments mean, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourselves. The Ten Commandments, rightly summarized, can be captured in that one phrase. Now, if we dive into the Ten Commandments and begin to understand how it is that we are to love God and to love neighbor, we will see the specificity that God has given to us on how we are to worship God or to love God. Excuse me. And when you look at the first one, the first commandment is, "You shall have no other gods before me." The second one, "You shall have." No idols. And then he goes on. What's the theme here? You worship what you love. If you love God, you will worship God above all things. I'm first, God says. And there's a specific way in which you worship me. If you want to love me, you will worship me with every fiber of your being. A great scholar said this, Worship means literally acknowledging the worth of something or someone. It means recognizing and saying that something or someone is worthy of praise. It means celebrating the worth of someone or something far superior to oneself. At the heart of the commandment is to worship God. To love God is to worship God. In 2005, the writer David Foster Wallace gave a stirring and powerful commencement speech to the graduates of Kenyon College in Ohio. Now in this speech Wallace wanted to prepare the graduates for the day-to-day life that they will soon encounter. It was his hopes that in communicating it to them, they would find the real value of their liberal arts degree which they had just achieved. And so with great humor and wit he accomplished that in his speech. You can go and listen to it. It's a great speech. But there's one statement in particular that is worth noting. And I should say that neither Wallace nor Kenyon are more proponents or strong proponents of Christianity. In fact, I believe Wallace himself was an agnostic. But he said this, and I want to quote it for you. He said this, Here's something that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess, or the Four Noble Truths, or some set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables. The skeleton of every great story. But the whole trick of it is to keep the truth up in front of our daily consciousness. You worship every day. That which you love is that which you worship. And so what is it you worship? Do you worship God with every fiber of your being? Here's a way that you can learn to know how uh, or what you worship. What is it that captures your imagination in your free time? When you're just sitting in your house and just hanging out, you got nothing to do. The yard work is done. Your work at, you know, work's done or whatever you need to do. What is it that you spend time thinking about? Where is it you spend your time and your money? I heard a wise man once say, give me your calendar and your checkbook and I can show you your God. That which captures our mind, our money, and our allegiance is that which we worship. Because what we worship is what we love at our church at Central Hope it is vital for us to put before you the the necessity of worshiping God as He has been revealed to us through scriptures because what we worship worship and love are deeply connected. And so we 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 spend our time we spend our money we spend our resources on making worship happen of going through this whole motion of printing bulletins of, of investing in resources on stage of Getting books so that you might worship God in the privacy of your own home because it is so valuable to you to worship God because God Himself, going back to what Wallace says, will not eat you up. I hope over the last 30 minutes I've accomplished the mission of helping you understand what it means to love God with greater clarity. Knowing that knowing this means knowing God trusting Him, and worshiping Him. This, at the end of the day, is what we are called to do as a church. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And at this church, this is what we will do as long as I am the pastor. It's my hope that you do this as well. We put those, I actually put those little cards out on the seats for you guys. And I really want this to be something that you can give to your friends, but I put it there primarily that you would remember this, that we love God because He first loved us. We can go through a sermon listening to to me saying, love God, love God, know God, trust God, worship Him, and we can feel this deep guilt that comes upon us. But I want to remind you that before you can love God, you must be loved by God. Be loved and loved. This is our mission. And I'm so grateful to do this with you guys. And I hope those of you that are new with us will partner with us in doing this. Let me pray. Our great God, we thank You that You have not left us without a roadmap on how we are to live. You have called us to love You with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. And certainly we have learned what it means to love You, to know You, to trust You, and to worship You. Lord, forgive us when our hearts go to different places, when our hearts go to the things that are created rather than to You, the Creator. It is true that we give our time, our money, our energies to these things more than we give it to You. And that's why, Lord, we are so thankful for Christ who loved us not because of anything we've done. He loved us because He loved us. And died for us. And paid for our sins. So we thank You for Him. Help us to do this well, Lord. That the world might know You and worship You. And find life in worshiping You.